Welcome to the Property Side Hustle Pod with host Paul Rose. This pod's all property but with no filter. Hi and welcome to the Property Side Hustle Pod. In today's show, we're going to be digging into the final part of the series on how to start a deal packaging business. Today, I'm going to share with you how to analyze a deal carry out the due diligence and also which metrics to use when evaluating the numbers and also what makes a deal a deal which is such a common question i must get asked this every single week and also what to do next so presenting the deals to your investors but before we begin i just want to give a shout out to a listener of the show um, who is a young lady by the name of ashley she's 19 years old and She's looking for ways to generate multiple streams of income at 19. She's a trainee accountant, but she realizes the power of having multiple incomes. And she says the long-term goal for her is either early retirement or having the extra cash to spend on holidays or whatever she likes. You know what? I really wish I'd been thinking about retirement when I was 19 because I was more interested in going to the pub with my mates and drinking dirty beer, (laughs) watching football. I honestly only thought about today. And, you know, tomorrow didn't matter. So I certainly didn't think about retirement until I was much older. So hats off to Ashley for that. And thanks for listening. Um, in the past month, I'd say I've had many, many messages all saying the same thing. Saying, Paul, where's the next podcast? You said it was going to be coming out every fortnight. And it's been three weeks. Um, I think it's been um, over a month since the last podcast actually went out. So apologies for that. I have been so incredibly busy it's been unreal and i've had some minor health issues which is a paltry excuse and i'm not using it uh, well i am using it but we're good to go again on the podcast train and i promise you're going to be getting the podcast a little bit more regularly so if not once a fortnight you know once a week but we'll, we'll see how we go with that eh? so in the past two podcasts we've covered setting up your deal packaging business from the very start We've looked at sourcing, where to find the deals, where to find the investors. We've also covered how to net yourself off market direct to vendor deals and lots more. So today it's all about the end game really. So let's discuss how to analyze a deal, what metrics should you look for when analyzing a deal. And for me, I use a 10 step process which covers the following. So the first thing is, comparable properties Um, and then we're going to look at the location a regeneration of the area we'll look at refurb costs if that's applicable tenant supply and demand which is a big one rental prices obviously we'll look at capital growth past and future potential and we'll look at timescales and by timescales I mean timescales to refurb a property timescales to tenant a property timescales to sell a property so all the timescales Um, and then we'll move on to potential exit strategies and all the potential uses of the property and last but not least any legislation that you need to be aware of now all the above should become part of your due diligence process and there are ways to collate this information and pull it together and some of it is you know it's pretty plain straight straightforward but some of it's not so but we'll go through that so let's run through it quickly because I want to pack this podcast full of content. Um, So let's crack on. So the first one up is 
comparable properties. Now, always discount the properties that are currently for sale because what a property is advertised for and what it sells for are two different figures, you know, most of the time. So let's deal in reality, not fiction here. So when looking at potential resale prices of a property and you're thinking, well, what will this sell for once it's done up or, or you know, whatever. If the exit was to was to um, refurb and resell in a short space of time, it's important to look at the comparables as it backs up the value. So when the surveyor comes out and gives you a valuation, you're thinking, where the hell did that come from? Um, now, you can find sold prices of properties, obviously, by using Rightmove, Mouse Price, or the land registry itself. Now, what you'll find on Rightmove and Mouse Price is just pulled from the land registry. That's where the information comes from. But it's worth noting that if you see a sold board up on a property and you're thinking, well, that's just sold, then it's, it's unlikely to be in the latest available data because the sold price data is usually around about three months behind as a rule. You can always ask the, the agent and be cheeky and ask them, you know, how much did that sell for? They'll either tell you or tell you to, to bugger off, but you know, you can ask the question. And next up after comparables is location. So what do you need to know about the location? Well, there are lots of free websites out there that provide data on areas such as home.co.uk, and streetcheck.co.uk. You will find all sorts of useful information about the areas. Did you hear that in the background then? That was my Alexa um, giving me an update on something that's being delivered. Um, yeah, pretty annoying. So yeah, so location. So there are lots of free websites out there that provide data on areas, like I said, such as home.co.uk and streetcheck.co.uk. And you're going to find all sorts of useful information about the areas, giving you an overall idea and a sense of the type of area it is. You know, these sites will give you an insight into the type of people that live in the area, their age and level of education. And you can see things such as crime levels, um, number of different types of properties. And you might be thinking, yeah, OK, but why is, it, why is it banging on about all this nonsense? Why is that important? Well, to be honest, this information is pretty handy because... It gives you an idea of what type of property strategy may work. You know, if the area is flooded with students, then student HMOs could be a great idea, or it might already be saturated. If it's a residential area with a mixture of stock, then you would be looking at other things like refurb and flips, lease options, rent to rents, anything goes really. But always keep the end user of the property in mind. You know, there's little point in creating a five-star service accommodation unit if there's no demand for that in the area. Sadly, it's just not a case of if you build it, they will come. They won't come and you might well be left panicking and nobody wants that scenario, do they? <clears throat> so incidentally, talking of SA, uh, serviced accommodation, if that's your chosen strategy, then be sure to check out airdna.co. That's airdna.co. They've got loads of data on serviced accommodation. So if SA is your thing, go check out the website. You do have to pay. You can get a certain level of information then. You have to pay for the good stuff, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, check that out. Um, and I know SA at the moment, and especially rent to rent SA, is, it, it is flavor of the moment, it seems. You know, there's lots of people selling courses on rent to 
rent to rent essays and things like that so it, it tends to become the thing that's talked about um so check that one out airdna.co the next up on the list is due diligence um on the due sorry next up on the list our due diligence list is regeneration and the best thing to do is google 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 and i've said it before and i'll say it again google is your best friend just do a search for regeneration or investment and the name of the town or city so for example regeneration in nottingham and you're going to have all sorts of information about ongoing and upcoming regeneration and investment in that area so pick through the news stories and results and use that information to help you build a picture of what's happening now and what's in store to a little bit further down the line as well now this is really really quite important from an investor point of view because if you have an area with great historic capital growth fantastic and if that area is expected to see continued growth then guess what investors will have a level of confidence buoyed by the fact that the data that you've provided suggests capital growth is on the cards which means potentially they'll have more equity further down the line you know think about it when you get huge multi-million pound regeneration projects <clears throat> in areas the house prices tend to rise at some point further down the timeline and capital growth often follows investment and regeneration you know look at hs2 people have been buying up properties near main hs2 hubs for the past couple of years really and it's been because they know that in time the capital growth and the investment surrounding that and the infrastructure should get a kick or a boost when that infrastructure is operational so the bottom line is major investment in an area will very often create capital growth further down the line you know as a, as a live example <clears throat> Morecambe for instance has been chosen as the next location for another Eden project and the one down south I think it's in Devon or somewhere like that and the one down south pumped hundreds of millions of pounds into the local economy and that's a huge driver and plus point if you were buying now and holding out for the future capital growth and another way of looking at it um, is getting yourself a few SA units or HMOs to house the workers involved in building the new Eden project during the build phase and then refurbing those those properties when that's done and then using them for tourists afterwards you know thinking of the long game so moving on from regeneration and local investment we've got refurb <clears throat> refurb costs in particular so the biggest schoolboy error is you must always allow for a contingency and factor in the all-important timescales too when looking at refurb projects if you underestimate then this could throw out all your figures so be realistic on the cost and the timescales we all know builders quotes can be inflated when things go bump so have a contingency fund we also know when most builders say it should be done by the end of this week that the emphasis is on the word should and it doesn't mean it will be done by the end of the week so keep a tight rein on your builders okay now we will look at <coughs> tenant supply and demand 
excuse me for the cough. I told you I had some health issues. Um, yeah, so tenant supply and demand. Now, many people say go to spare room, but my advice is don't solely rely on this. As many adverts are old and actually outdated as the room has been filled without the advert being updated. What you should be doing is speak to a handful of local agents, ask them how they think the local rental market is doing for family homes, flats, HMOs, etc. You know, they work in this sector day in, day out to leverage their knowledge. They've got their finger on the pulse in terms of how quick things are letting. So if anyone knows what's going on and how long rooms and properties take to rent, then it's agents. Also, top tip, if you're letting out HMO, um, using spare room is great, but boost your advert every single day to keep it at the top of the search results. This way your advert doesn't slide down onto page 15 and you're left twi twiddling your thumbs thinking, why, why is this room not renting? Why is nobody picking up the phone? Why don't we get no phone calls? It's a gorgeous room. It's probably because you're on page 15 or page 10 or whatever. Boost your advert, stay at the front, <clears throat> stay at the top of the search results and, and you, you're more, more than likely get, get the room let much quicker. So let's swiftly move on to rental prices. Now this is a pretty simple one. Hop online and look for what would be comparable properties or rooms and take an average. Don't compare a five-star property or room with a standard finish. You know, be sensible about it. To be comparable, it has to be as close to yours in size, finish, location, and type. So capital growth, we mentioned this before. It's always a nice metric to share with investors as it gives confidence on potential growth in the future. And you can find out an area's historic capital growth by looking at regional data released by the likes of HomeTrack or hop onto the website called Property Data. And you get what you'll get is the last five years growth in a given area. And you'll also get the regional expected growth um, as forecasted by major players like Night Knox and Savills. So it's reliable data. <clears throat> You're also going to want to look at the timescales, like I said. So if a refurb is necessary, how long will it take? If it needs tenanting, how long will it take? If the exit is to sell on, how long will it take? And so on. Don't assume when your refurb is finished that that's when the property will sell. How active is the market? Do your homework and speak with as many agents as possible. And last but not least, you need to look at any legislations so you can draw the investor's attention to these if need be. Now, believe it or not, that's all 10 steps to due diligence covered. And the other thing I want to touch on in this podcast is how to crunch the numbers. Well, PSN property education students get our deal analyzer, which is a spreadsheet that spits out a number of metrics which are the most common, such as gross yield, net yield, net cash flow per month and per annum, and return on investment, amongst others. <coughs> Excuse me. These are the most common metrics. Um, you should be using when crunching the numbers. And as we're talking about deal packaging, there is the age-old question, should you include the deal sourcing fee in the numbers or not? Now, some people do and some people don't, but I would say yes, you should, because it's part of the deal after all. The investor has to pay the money out, so it makes perfect sense to factor it in when you're giving them the return on investment, because 
it's all part of the acquisition cost because they're having to buy the property they've got stamp duty legals they've got sourcing fee as well so why wouldn't you put it in there it makes perfect sense so i would say yes always include the sourcing fee in the numbers and that's what we do on our deal analyzer and another popular question i always hear is and we mentioned this at the top of the show what makes a deal a deal it's the million dollar question because people have a habit of overcomplicating the simplest of things and this goes back to how you operate as a deal packager so if you're sourcing for an investor you should have their criteria in front of you on a piece of paper or whatever and what they're looking for you'll know exactly what they're looking for what returns they want what type of property etc etc so if you go out and find them what they want then that's a deal for them you know in terms of numbers any investor will have a level of return or cash flow they desire from their next investment and if the opportunity you find meets that criteria then guess what on paper it's a deal what works for one person won't work for the next it's very subjective so all this oh that that's not a deal it doesn't stack well it doesn't stack in your eyes but it might stack for somebody else you know when you're sourcing for an investor and you're sourcing to meet their needs you're looking for what they want that's all you need to concentrate on you don't need to overcomplicate it. That's what makes a deal. So always remember when you're qualifying investors, on the back of that, to find out how would they plan to finance their purchase, as this will need to be factored into the purchase costs. You know, leveraging a mortgage is completely different to using a bridging loan or cash, and the figures and costs will be wildly different. And so it goes without saying that this will impact the returns achieved. Don't forget acquisition costs okay so you've got the deal the numbers look good and now it's about presenting the deal to your investor and again people tend to build this one up and overcomplicate it they build it up in their heads and worry about sounding like an amateur stop overthinking it this is super super simple stuff investors are just human beings just like you and i in fact i remember having a conversation with somebody i mentored a few years back now and I'd been uh, a week or so before this, I'd been to a networking meeting and I come across a wealth fund manager and he had a pot of a few hundred million uh, to play with. And he was looking for investments for his clients. So I give the details of this wealth fund manager to this lady I was mentoring and she did what? She panicked straight away because there was such huge sums of money involved. When I said, <clears throat> And I said, this guy had a pot of money and the pot of money was you know, a few hundred million. Pure panic um, set in. <coughs> oh, do, do excuse me. Um, yeah, pure panic set in. And she was worried straight away. But I explained to her, you know, he's a super nice guy, just a normal, regular, run-of-the-mill guy. I met at a networking uh, meeting in London in a pub. And he just wants to find some good investments for his clients. That's why he's going out there networking. And I said to her, you know, you could be the solution for him. I guarantee you that he will be interested in what you have to say. And this made a panic even further. Well, what do I say? How do I know what to do? What, what if I say the wrong thing? And I said, okay, break it down. He wants property investments. You have a potential deal for him. Ask him what his client's criteria is and qualify him 
as if he was the investor seen as he's in control of this fund. And once you know what he wants, then say, okay, you're gonna be in touch with all the details in a day or so. Go away and make sure the numbers stack up, create the brochure if it's not already done and send over the details. Then follow it up and call him and discuss if it will work for his clients or not. If it doesn't, if it doesn't work and he said, well, it's, it's not, really for, not really for us, you know, ask why. So you can reset and go source with a clearer idea in mind of what they do, what they actually do want. And once this process was broken down, she was absolutely fine. You know, and the guy was super nice and he became a great contact for her. And she was always on the phone to him after that initial call and she got over that hurdle of, you know, it's just the guy on the other end of the phone. Um, and she was always sending him potential deals. You know, she was at the end of the day, his solution. And he needed people like her and other sources that, you know, to, to, to get what he wanted, which was to facilitate his client's needs. You know, all that worry and stress over making a phone call. It was just the regular guy who needed access to opportunity. And whether it's 100 million or 50,000 pound, the problem and the solution are the same thing. So don't overcomplicate simple things. That's the number one thing people do in property. They see something, well, how, how, how do we do this? Straight away, you're overcomplicating. You're overcomplicating what is a simple thing. There is no secret. There is no, you know, uh, hack. It's just a little bit of a process. Don't overcomplicate it. It doesn't have to be more complicated than it already is. So in terms of presenting deals, I would say that the best and most common way is to create a brochure of the property and all the headline figures and due diligence you've carried out need to be in there. So this will show you have not only sourced the opportunity, but looked at every conceivable angle in terms of its investability. Easy for me to say, investability, is that even a word? And it's important to show what you've done, you know, the data that you've pulled together, etc. And as a side note, I would always have a disclaimer on any brochure stating that although due diligence has been carried out, that the onus is on the buyer to carry out their own due diligence before investing. I would also share best case and worst case scenarios on the chosen exit strategy, just to give a balanced view rather than paint the best possible strategy as if that's the only likely outcome. Now, I know we've packed a lot of content into this um and you know it's probably to be fair one of those podcasts you're gonna have to listen to again and maybe make some notes but i wanted to pack it full of useful content so you can go and use it um, to your own benefit and take it away so it'd be great to hear how you're getting on so you can you know drop drop us a message that's all really for this show so as a draw to a close and we wrap up the third part in the series the third and final part about how to start your deal packaging business as ever check the show notes for any web links we mentioned during the show because that's where you'll find them and if you're still listening right now i know you're serious about property and learning so go join our facebook group which is brand new and is packed full of free downloads and knowledge packed pdfs it's called the property education community it's open for all so make sure you look us up the property education community on Facebook. Go get it done. So that's all for this one. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed the show. 
please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on any new episodes and I promise they will be more more regular and if you would like further info on affordable property training then check out www.psnproperty.co.uk till next time stay safe and take it easy